0: comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have an enjoy in a to the till it very good. Okay. <laughs> Overflows. Okay. So today I want to talk about this. The title of the sermon is Enjoy Growing Spiritually. Enjoy Growing Spiritually. Now listen real close. The title of the sermon is not Growing Spiritually. I already have sermons on how to grow spiritually back there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap. I'm going to do a two-minute sermon on how to grow spiritually. But that is not the title. The title is Enjoy Growing Spiritually. And 42 minutes from now, when you leave this building, you're going to be more relaxed about your relationship with Jesus than you ever have been your entire life. Amen. I don't think you're going to be any more enjoyable, You're going to get a revelation today that's going to forever change your life. But first, I want to teach you how to grow spiritually. So here's how you grow spiritually psalms 1 1 through 3 it's not up there uh, joshua 1 8 and two-thirds of the new testament tell us that our goal is to simply plant ourselves into a church where we can number one it's the right place you can write that in psalms 1 place you'll read psalms 1 1 through 3 This blesses the man that does not go certain places and does go certain places So place the right church to the right people relationships you are who you hang around you are. If you don't believe that, go back to your high school years. You can be that influence. You can be that influence as an adult as well. And then three is ponder. So place people and ponder what you meditate on day and night. So where you go, the people you hang out with and what you ponder or think about day and night determines what you become. That is how you grow spiritually. You simply plant yourself in the right place, around the right people And hearing the right things. That's why it's so important that you get in the right church for you. Psalms 92.13 says, Being planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish. How can God guarantee that we will flourish when we are planted in the house of the Lord? Here's why. It's the right place. It's the right people. And hopefully you can understand whatever message is being given so you can ponder the right things. What you think about, who you hang around, and where you go, that is your whole life. That is your entire existence on earth. Who you are today is because of what you've pondered, the people you've hung around, and the places you've planted yourself. In Psalms 1, 1 through 3, it talks about how we're a fruit tree. Fruit trees are different than any other kind of trees. I have a lot of fruit trees. I love fruit trees. Um, They're not like pine trees. Pine trees, you can grow them anywhere just about. A fruit tree, it has to be planted in the right place. Everybody say the right place when it gets the right place the right environment and the right amount of sun the right amount of uh, the right temperature the right amount of water then it starts to produce fruit when you're planted in the right place you will produce in galatians five twenty two, the fruit of the spirit not the fruit of john paul not the fruit of whatever your name is but the fruit of the spirit in other words god does the work in your life and all you do is plant yourself that's it Plant yourself in the right place around the right people so you can ponder the right things and God grows you. That's how you grow spiritually. Now, that's not the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon is enjoy growing spiritually. So you're ready for today's sermon? Okay. Here we go. Mark 6, verse 3. I'm going to set a good foundation. It says this. Is this not the carpenter? It's referring to Jesus. I have a question for you. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He healed in the yesterday. Can He still heal today? Can He heal forever? Jesus was a teacher in the yesterday. Can He still teach you today? Can He still teach you forever? It says here in Mark 6, 3 that He was a carpenter. Now, this word carpenter is not the best English translation from the Greek a New Testament Bible. The reason I tell you Greek words and Hebrew words is because I know how much you love it. I can just sense the energy that just flows through the room when I say there's a Greek word we're about to study. The correct word for carpenter here would actually be the word builder for your notes. Builder. It comes from a Greek word tekton, which means one who builds with any material. When you think of carpenter, you think just a few furniture pieces with wood But he was actually a builder who could build with any material, metal, stone, wood, anything. So I want you to say this out loud. Say, I am am. a material. material. If you were a female, I was going to have you say, I am a... Okay, but anyway. Okay, so Jesus was a carpenter. Let me ask you this. Was there any building that he did before he was on earth? Hebrews 11.3 says the worlds were framed. By the very word of God. That word framed is a builder's word. Frank, imagine how square and perfect you got to get a house when you frame a house. He framed the world. I mean, he's a good builder, is he not? In fact, if he had framed it any closer to the sun, the people in the Sahara Desert would burn to death. If he framed it any further away from the sun, the people in the North Pole would freeze to death. He's a good frame. He's a good builder. Psalms 139:15 says that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. He framed you. But does he continue to build? Matthew 16:18 says, "I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail." Who is the church? We are the church. 1 Peter 2:5 says, "You also, like a very like a stone that's alive, are being built into A spiritual house. So here's the revelation for today. And I'm going to say it and then I'm going to spend 20 minutes proving it to you. The revelation for today is this. You are not the builder. In fact, not only are you not the builder, you are actually the building. Nowhere does it say you're supposed to fix yourself, change yourself, break those addictions off of your life, add to yourself, take away from yourself. Nowhere does it say you're supposed to, supposed to do all these things. This is, you're, you're, you're the building. You're not the builder. If you could change yourself and fix yourself and make yourself be a better Christian and make yourself be a gooder person and all, if you could do that, we wouldn't need Jesus. He's the builder. You know, whenever you go to those construction sites, we have one across from our parking lot, and uh, we're doing one on the back of our church, and I've learned a lot from building over the past year, working with, with things like that, but whenever you see that kind of thing, uh, you see a big old mess. I mean, there's like, there's, there's rocks everywhere, there's, there's piles of dirt, there's some foundations poured here and there, there's, um, let's see, there's, there's two-by-fours laying around. There is uh, plywood and piles. Some places they had to dig things out of the ground. Other places they had to put things in the ground. There's PVC pipes sticking out of some, some concrete areas. There's, I mean, there's all kind of stuff going on. I mean, you've got trucks coming in and out. And nobody on that entire site, when you walk out of there, nobody says, Hey, everybody, we've got to stop. Everybody stop. This is a mess. There's piles of debris over here. There's some concrete poured over here. We got PVC pipes later here. Everybody needs to stop. Why don't they say that? Here's why they recognize something. It's a construction site. It's supposed to be that way. Something amazing's coming out of that. They're wanting anything good before, but now when they get done, it's going to look good. And so every area of our life, every area, we have to remind ourselves every single day: I'm under construction. I am under construction. And every day that I live on earth, I will continuously be under construction. My building is not finished or complete until I see Jesus face to face. So whatever bad addiction you have, you cuss, you drink, you have a bad attitude on Mondays, you have a temper, whatever it is. Listen, you're under construction. And you're not the builder. So you don't get to decide when that addiction comes off of your life. You don't get to decide when that area of your life is healed. You don't get to decide what happens. You're the building. Your job is to submit yourself to the builder. And whenever you talk to the general contractor or you talk to the the architect, none of them are worried about what's going on. Now, to the critical eye, to the negative eye, to the untrained eye, someone who knows nothing about construction. When they see a site like that and there's nails laying over here and shingles over there, they get so upset inside. They say, no, this is, nothing good can come from this. But when you go look at the architect and you look at the general contractor, they're not sweating. They're sitting back drinking coffee. Do you know why that is? Because they have a copy of the plans. And they know that every shingle, every two by four, Every piece of plywood, it's all been written in the plans. That was supposed to happen. The big pile of dirt supposed to be there. The big hole in the ground supposed to be there. The PVC pipe sticking out the concrete, it's supposed to be there. And whenever the GC looks at the plans that the architect gave him, and he said, oh, there needs to be a closet, he decides when the closet's built in. The building doesn't decide that. The builder decides that. In our life, the architect is God Almighty. And the builder is Jesus Christ. And you are not either one of those. In fact, you don't even have the plans for your life. This should take so much pressure off of you. You don't have the plans for your spouse's life. You don't have the plans for your grown children's life. You don't know when God's gonna do that thing in their life their job is to remain under construction. Your job is just to encourage them to stay where the foundation is. Now, all through the Bible, the foundation is the local church. That's the foundation. The foundation is built on the grace of Jesus Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ. As long as you're a part of the foundation, you can relax and let everything be okay and let God do what He had planned to do from the very beginning in your life. You don't believe God's the architect? Jeremiah 20 and 11 says... I know, the, plans. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, give you hope, give you a future. That shingle that's hanging off, it's in the plans. That pile of debris over there, it's in the plans. And for the rest of your life on earth, God gives his son Jesus these architectural drawings and Jesus just goes to work in your life. How dare you say... You are in charge of building yourself. You couldn't get yourself saved. You needed the grace of Jesus Christ to save you so you could get to heaven. Now you think after that, now you can do the work in yourself. No, it doesn't happen like that. Our job is to stop focusing on the construction site and start focusing on the architect. He's the one with the plans. I'm not giving you permission to sin today. I'm giving you permission to relax in your relationship with the builder. Listen, you say, well, I've been trying for five years to get rid of this addiction. That's right. You've been trying. Stop trying. Focus on serving the body of Christ, and he will focus on building the building in your life. Psalms 127.1 says this. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder's labor How many times have we labored in our life in vain, trying to change something about ourselves that God had in the plans was going to be changed? Three years later, it was already in the plan. And here you are trying to get ahead of the builder. You can't put the shingles on until the two by fours are up. So, and and, you know what's so funny? We know this in the natural. I shouldn't have tied it like I did because I feel like I gotta. But in the natural, if you have a child that's in kindergarten, you know, let's say they're four years old, and you say, what's wrong, honey? They say, I want to be in college. Well, you're not supposed to be in college. You're in kindergarten. But I want to learn how to do trigonometry. You'll get there one day. You'll get there. you got to go through elementary school. you got to go through middle school, high school. You'll get there. You would say, honey, why are you so upset? Uh, All these scriptures in the Bible about don't worry, don't be stressed. Don't have anxiety. And yet when it comes to our spiritual life, that's exactly how we feel. We're stressed out. We're anxious. We're not growing as quick as we should. You've only been walking with Jesus for a few years. Here you are. You've been walking with Jesus for five years. And you're comparing yourself to somebody that's been walking with Jesus for 30 years. And do you know there are things in your plans that God's done in your life that he hadn't done in theirs? And there are things He's done in their life, on their plans, that are not yet part of your plans. They're not in there quite yet. In fact, some things, you're going to battle the rest of your life on earth, so you have to rely on the Builder every single day. And you thought you could overcome that on your own. You're so cute. (laughs) You thought you could break that anxiety all by yourself. You are so sweet, you cute little thing. Your job is to be a part of the foundation that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This is your foundation. If you will plant yourself here, just sit back and let God do the rest. How dare a kindergartner go to his teacher and say, why aren't you teaching me trigonometry? Because you're not there yet. But all those other people, they're in their 20s. You're comparing yourself to the, You know what we do? Let's say that right now, you're a 20-story building. And you're comparing yourself to your friend or your pastor, your spouse, whatever. And they're a 40-story building, okay? If you really want to compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus, who is a million-story building, and then you'll get a proper accuracy level of where you should be. See, we don't compare ourselves to Jesus. We compare ourselves to people so much, and it makes us feel guilty, condemned. How come they don't have that addiction? How come they don't have that problem? They got problems. They got addictions. The ones that are judgmental towards people who are addicted to cigarettes, they're addicted to chocolate. I'd rather die of chocolate, personally. But anyway, whatever. Anyway. So listen. <clears throat> Nobody in this whole room wants to grow and be more spiritually mature than me. I, you have no idea how many hours I've sweated trying to change myself and grow myself. I preached my first sermon at 26, the first day I was a pastor. And I'll never forget, it took me two months to prepare, and it was a six-minute sermon. It took me two months. And I'll never forget, the whole time I thought, the day that I start pastoring, the day I preach my first sermon, I'm going to be so wise. I'm going to be so mature. I'm going to be the most humble pastor. I was so proud that I was going to be the most humble pastor in all of Myrtle Beach. And I preached my first sermon And that didn't happen so I thought when I'm 30 years old then then I'll be so mature I won't have any problems I'll know how to handle every situation and it didn't happen at 30 so then I thought when I'm 35 that'll happen now I'm hoping when I'm 40 in two months from now somehow magically (laughs) I'll be more patient I'll be more kind I'll have everything figured out I'm hoping when I get to 90 I'll be okay Listen, let me say like this. If you get around me, I'll encourage you because that's something God's already built in my life. I'll affirm you because he's already put that two by four in my life. I'll bring some joy because I love to laugh. But listen, I'll also be incredibly impatient. I'll be obnoxious at times and I will probably joke around way too much till it offends you. Why will I do those things? Will I do those things because I don't love Jesus? Will I do those things because I don't love you? Will I do those things because I'm just a poor sinner that always sins every day of his life? No, I'll do those things because I'm under construction. And for the rest of my life, I'll be under construction. So if you think that you're going to be around me and I'm going to be a perfect building, you're wrong. That's never going to happen until I see Jesus face to face and the same thing goes with you. But I know as long as I'm planted in the right foundation, in the right place then God can produce what He wants to produce in my life when He wants to produce it in His time, in His strength, in His energy. And I'm just going to sit back and enjoy my relationship with Him. Imagine imagine you found the person you're in love with, and y'all are going to get married, and you're so excited, and you're going to get married on a Sunday. But on Saturday, your fiancé says, Listen, I'm so excited about tomorrow. But just so you know, starting tomorrow, for the rest of your life, I have a list. And every single day, I have something I want you to change about yourself. On Monday, after our you know, night of a honeymoon, I want to make sure you learn how to clean your ears out properly with the q tip Q-tip. We're going to work on that. The next day of your life, I want you to make sure you know how to pick up your socks. Every single day, don't leave them on the floor. The next day, I'm going to teach you how to say please and thank you properly. The next day, you better learn how to throw your garbage away. The next day, you better not let... And you say, whoa, I don't know about marriage. I thought it was going to be fun. I thought we were going to enjoy each other. I thought it was going to be filled with love and time together and affirm each other and serve each other. No, it's not like that. You're going to change from this day and for the rest of your life. You're going to work hard at doing it too. You would say, I think I changed my mind. I don't think I want to marry you. Okay, that's what y'all think marriage is like to Jesus. And it's not like that. It was never meant to be difficult in the New Testament. That's the whole point of the New Covenant. The Old Testament was go ahead try to do it by yourself. The New Testament is let Jesus do it for you. He already paid the price for your life. I mean, did now, now you think you've got to pay him back by fixing yourself? Ezekiel 18 is, a, is a is a spiritual principle. It says, while they minister within the temple, they shall not gird themselves with anything that causes them to sweat. It was never supposed to be difficult to serve God. And if you're in relationships with people or with any group that makes you think it's difficult to serve God, you need to run away from that group that is religion that's weights being put on you that Jesus already bore that's man-made stuff it's supposed to be a wonderful marriage Uh, let me say it like this I have never in my life overcome something trying to overcome something never I look back and all the things that I've tried to fix in my life have been a big waste of time you know what I've done I've planted myself and let God fix me and change me in his timing, his way. I have, I have a friend, one of my mentors, I have several, one of my mentors, um, he tells how uh, when he was a young guy, he was a, a big old lust bucket. I mean, He just was just sleeping around with women, and he, um, he'd drink a, a fifth of whiskey every weekend. He smoked pot, smoked cigarettes, he cussed, and, uh, but he still went to church, which was great. His family went, his siblings went, he was in his 20s, he'd just come, he'd sit at the back and just sit there and just nod off. One day, he decided he wanted to try something else. So he gave his life to Jesus. He just surrendered everything and said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to give it to you. I don't like the life I have. I want you to be in charge. Just like that. He stopped lusting. He actually found a great woman in church, got married. He's a pastor now. He stopped drinking. He stopped cussing. He stopped doing drugs. But he didn't stop smoking. In fact, he tells that he was so upset with himself He was so guilt stricken every day thinking, God, these other things I'm not doing anymore. But God, I don't know why I keep smoking. I'm trying. I tried the patch. I tried the hypnotism. I tried everything I could. I just keep smoking. God, what do I do? And he was so frustrated, he almost stopped coming to church because he felt so guilty. So he went to his pastor and said, Pastor, I I need you to pray for me. I got to stop smoking. The pastor said, Why? He said, I just, all these other things got broken off my life and I just feel like this is supposed to be. I don't know what to do. The pastor said, Stop focusing on the smoking and just help me in church he said what do you mean but i smoke i smell like smoke i always smoke listen i want you to help me with the bulletins i want you to pick up the teenagers in the church van on sunday mornings. i want and he had these other things seven years went by and just like that one day he stopped smoking do you know why it happened seven years after he got saved because that was part for some reason of god's plan That was part he could have struggled and felt guilty and stopped serving God and thought he was a big mess for seven years. The goal is to live on the foundation and let God do all the work. I'm gonna keep proving it to you until you're totally convinced. 2 Corinthians 3:18. As we continue to sweat our butts off, trying to be good Christians, saying, God, how come I don't pray enough? I feel so guilty for that. God, I can't believe the way I treated this person. I can't believe I looked at that on the internet. God, I'm such a poor, awful person. When am I ever going to change? It says, as we continue to behold the same thing that framed the worlds, the Word of God, we are constantly being transformed into His image from one floor of a building to another floor of a building, which comes from the spirit it doesn't come from you. Even the fruit of the Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you. Let me, just, let me do a poll here. I'm just curious. By a show of hands, and not these kind of hands, but this kind of hands, how many of y'all, since you've been saved, have sinned and sinned and sinned? Since you've been saved. Man, let's get it on camera. Let's make sure we get your faces. too. <laughs> I'm just, you know, the Methodist church is going to think we're awful down here. Uh. <laughs> but you know what Satan does? Satan tells you you're the only one. Satan tells you what you did is worse than what the person did next to you. Satan says, God's so mad at you. Yeah. He's pleased with the person next to you. They're not as bad as you, but you, boy. Oh. Satan says, God's not pleased with you. You know what the Bible refers to as Satan in the book of Revelation? In Revelation 12, 10, it says, He is the accuser of our brethren, and He accuses us day and night. Listen, I've heard pastors quote this, and they say that He's the accuser of the brethren it's a true statement but that's not what the scripture says scripture actually says he's the accuser of our brethren what that means is the person right next to you in this church knows exactly what it's like to feel like their sin is more powerful than the grace of god in their life just the person next to you just like you. Just like, he always says you're the only one you're not the only one trust me I, I you know what i actually used to think when i started pastoring that i was the only one I thought, I'm worse than everybody in my congregation. Until I started counseling. Then I thought, oh dear God, I'm a saint. I'm just kidding, no. <laughs> no, I didn't, no I didn't. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you something that I've never, I don't think I've ever told anybody this. But um, um, when I started preaching, I, uh, I almost was scared to preach because the things I preached about was the stuff I battled. And I thought, well, no one's going to get anything out of this I'm the only one. I used, to literally, I used to be scared to preach certain things in sermons. So I thought, man, they're going, to be, they're going to think I'm really bad if I tell them, you know, this, whatever. No, that's just how Satan works. You know, just like you can't properly judge a building without the plans, you can't properly judge your building without the plans that God has. Listen real close. You can't properly judge your neighbor's building. Because you don't have their plans. You don't have their plans. How in the world can you tell somebody else they should be believing this or come further Whatever, You can't say that. If If they're planted in the house of the Lord, if you have a spouse or a grown child or a friend or a parent that's planted in the house of the Lord, you need to get on your knees every day and thank Jesus Christ Almighty. Because there are probably at least a dozen ladies in this church, in this service and the next, they would give every single thing that they own for their husband to be in church with them. they give everything. I know parents that would literally let their arm be cut off if it meant their grown child being planted in church. So here you are dogging on that person, wanting them to change and fix this. You need to say, thank you, honey, that you're planted in the very foundation where God can work in your life. Stop being God in other people's lives. Stop being the builder. You're the building. You're the building, okay? All oh, this clapping throws me. I'm just kidding. I love it when y'all clap. I was gonna say it throws me off. Done. So I'm gonna tell you two stories, and I'm gonna let you go. Okay? The first one is about uh, is about. It comes from, and I'm saying this just to hope you understand theologically. The book of Ezra in the Old Testament is far away from the book of Zechariah. The reason is because the book of Ezra is with the historical books. And the book of Zechariah is with the prophetic books of the Bible. The reason I say that is because I'm about to tell you a story that is in both of those books about Zerubbabel. And the reason I'm letting you know this is because I'm going to give you one scripture from one book and another scripture from the other book, but it's the same story. I want you to understand that. So Ezra the prophet tells the Israelites, it's time to rebuild the temple for God. Everybody came from all over. They're all excited and they poured the foundation. Everybody say the foundation. After the foundation was poured, some lawyers and judges got involved and got them taught out of building the rest of the temple. They they prevented them from doing it. They were a little bit upset, but something very interesting happened after the foundation was poured. Something so interesting. It says in Ezra 3 verse 11, The people sang, shouted, and praised the Lord simply because the foundation of the temple had been laid. In other words, there were no walls up. There were no closets, no lights, no sound system, no speakers, no chairs. All they had was the foundation. And they celebrated and cheered and thanked God that the foundation had been laid. My point is, some of y'all keep looking forward to how far you have to go. You need to look back at how far you've already come. Thank God for the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. If that's all you got. If every addiction in your life was still in you, if every bad habit, every bad thought, every selfish motive was still inside of you and all you did was have the foundation, thank you, Jesus, that I'm going to heaven because of you. Thank you, Jesus, just for the foundation. You know, there's seasons in our life where we don't see things being built. I believe those are the seasons God's actually working on the foundation. Because the deeper the foundation goes, the higher the building goes. And some of you, you're ready for something high to come, and you're at a 40-story building, but God's planning on a 100-story building. So He's got to go deeper and deeper and deeper with your foundation in the local body church at the body of Christ so you can go further up when the time comes. You know, I know I'm running late, five more minutes, but I I want to tell you real quick about Mark. I just Normally, I dog on him really bad, okay? And that's what I'm going to do now. And so, I'm just kidding. So when Mark came to... Um, when he decided he was going to come help me start a solid rock at market common he had never really served god before and so he helps me start the church and does the music and mark had a lot of bad habits i mean he was the most selfish person i've ever known in my life every single sentence out of his mouth was about himself everyone he cussed all the time What was I going to say good about him? Anyway, and so he starts coming to church. Listen, I never preached on cussing. I never told him what a bad person he was. He simply planted himself here, and he's a faithful tither. He made sure his heart was in the kingdom. You always want your heart to be there. Do you know that just like that, God began to change his life? Just like that. In his 40s, he had not yet found the woman for him. After he starts serving the body of Christ, his wife comes along. Great wife, wonderful mother best woman he's ever found Mary has a kid now with her everything's going fine not only that but Mark's cussing is so funny he went from cussing 70% of the time to about 10% of the time me and his wife were talking the other day when Mark cusses now it sounds so funny it's like a Chinese word coming out of his mouth it doesn't match him it's like a third grader so excited to say their first cuss word <laughs> that's what it's says God just does these things He never struggled. He never said, Oh, I can't believe i got to fix this about me and change this about me and now I'm serving God so I'm going to have to stop doing this and stop doing that. He got in the right place around the right people and he pondered the right things and everything changed. So they laid the foundation and listen, for 10 years no buildings went up. 10 years it was just the foundation. 10 years. Zerubbabel says, God, are you ever going to build this for us? How are we going to accomplish this? All these problems come against us and I want to read you what he says in zechariah but there's a there's two words he repeats a word in there it's so powerful it's in the old testament that's why this is so amazing in zechariah 4 6 he says this bring out the headstone and shout grace grace unto the headstone was the final stone that went on the final completion of the building wait a minute all they had was the foundation What's the purpose of getting the final stone? What's the purpose of even having it? We don't have any two by fours up. There's no lights. It's just the foundation. Here's what God was saying. This will never be completed without the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. So you make sure that anytime, anytime you feel down, guilty, discouraged, you remind yourself, I have the foundation. God, the architect, Jesus is the builder. And the only way anything's going to happen is by the grace of God. Last story, and I'm going to let you go. I was reading about uh, football. I say I was reading. I actually watched a video on this football game. It took place years ago. And uh, they were in the playoffs, which I assume is a very important thing in sports. And um, I was was reading and watching about the visiting team. The visiting team shows up, and they play the game, and there's three seconds left of the game. The visiting team's down by two points. And they're about to send out the kicker to win the game. So I assumed that a field goal was more than two points. Is that correct? Three points. Okay, three points. So they're going to win the game if they do it. So the kicker's about to go out there. And all of a sudden, 80,000 fans, 80,000, begin to boo and scream and hiss at this kicker. When I watched the video, it literally sounded like hell with a bunch of demons. Like it was scary. It was just scary. So the kicker's about to go out there, and the coach for the home team sees how intimidating it is, so he calls a timeout simply for the purpose to continue more intimidation in that kicker's heart. If that wasn't bad enough, they start replaying all the failed kick attempts this guy did, even from two years before on the big screen. 80,000 fans screaming against him, a TV playing all of his failures. And he runs out there in the field, and they say hike or hut, whichever one. <laughs> he runs up, and he kicks it, and it goes right in between the goalposts, and they win the game. After the game, the reporter interviews the kicker and says, how in the world did you do this? you got 80,000 people screaming against you. TV's playing. your failures. What in the world? What happened? He said this. He said the word. He used the word thinking, but I'm going to use the word pondering because it matches the Scripture. He said, when I went out there, I started pondering my very first football game. My father was on the sidelines screaming so loud for me. We won our game that day. And so when I got out there in the field, before I went to kick the ball, I just closed my eyes and the voice of my father yelling for me completely outweighed the 80,000 fans yelling against me. In life, Satan will send every accusing demon he possibly can to scream against you. Don't be surprised if he plays all of your failures on the TV screen of your mind. But our goal is Solid Rock, every time you leave this church, every time you leave a short group, every time you leave a meeting with your friends here, every time you leave a Bible story, our goal is that you leave here with the voice of your Father. Screaming so loud for you to win, win, win that it drowns out 80 million demons screaming against you in life. Somebody yell, I'm under construction!